On the last episode of Solvable, investigators from Mississippi confirmed the identity of Baby Jane, Delta Dawn, as Alicia Ann Heinrich, but her mother, Gwendolyn Mae Clemens, is still missing. The last person who saw them alive was Gwen's boyfriend, Philip, a married policeman from Webb City, Missouri. Around Thanksgiving 1982, the two of them and baby Alicia packed up a U-Haul and ran away together to start a new life in Florida. She was excited the last time I seen her because she says that they were going to move and it's going to make a new life for themselves. She said she thought it'd be best for her. To everyone's surprise, though, after just a few days, Philip called his wife he'd abandoned in Missouri and claimed he had had a mental breakdown and had no memory of how he had ended up in Florida. He asked to come home, but the man that returned wasn't the same man that had left. Philip was missing two very important things when he arrived back in Missouri, Gwen and Alicia. He told Gwen's father that he'd dropped the mother and baby off in Kansas City with a rich man who owned a big yacht. Jackson County investigators working the case now are not convinced that story is entirely true. What's your, what's your spitball? What's your idea? What do you think? The guy with the U-Haul is the key. I just think that the U-Haul guy, which is that's what I call him, um, is that he's either going to have information of where she got out or else he's the guy that killed them both. In late 2020, we joined investigators at the Jackson County Sheriff's Office for a roundtable discussion about everything they knew so far in the case. This sort of meeting is routine for a team of detectives. It's a chance for everyone to sit down and review their different perspectives on any new information that's come in. In Gwen and Alicia's case, there seemed to be some consensus among the group that the only person who knew more about what happened to them was Philip. So how did she get hooked up with what's his name? She wrote a letter in August to her sister and said, I'm in love with a guy, police officer in Web City. Come back after Thanksgiving, it was with her, and they load up a U-Haul in a van. All the belongings, plans to move to Tampa and on a pet shop. So right after Thanksgiving, they are so, or however many days, they're southeast bound, allegedly. That's what the sister thinks. And they're and three coming days from later, where in Missouri? Joplin. 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 Then comes back and says, I was never in a relationship with her. I took her and her belongings and her child to meet some guy up in Kansas City. Now, this is right about the time period where he's getting back to the house to tell family I dropped her off in Kansas City, and this is about the time period of day that, that she is supposed to have been killed. That's the last known person that she was with that we know of, and him showing up and she's not with him. Both of them aren't with them. Yeah, that's kind of that's a clue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know. And if it was a couple of days, he certainly had time to get mm-hmm. him. Absolutely, absolutely. Like and it fits with the route. Here's yeah. a tag. You know, he kills her, and he's like, "We ain't going to Tampa." Investigators really wanted to speak directly with Philip when they first learned about his relationship with Gwen and his bizarre story after returning to Missouri. But unfortunately, the passage of time prevented that. After conducting several interviews and doing some research. Police learned that Philip died several years ago. Philip being dead and whatever information he took with him to his grave may never be fully known. In law enforcement, I've learned that this kind of scenario is tough for investigators to overcome, but it's not a complete dead end. 
Sergeant Eddie Clark was able to uncover some crucial information about Philip. After several interviews with Philip's children and his ex-wife, Eddie learned a lot about the man Gwen fell head over heels for. I thought about that, you know, a lot. And after hearing his story, whenever he came back, how he just, he never once told his wife what he did, that he ran off of Gwen and that baby. He never told her that. He says that he doesn't know what happened. He went nuts. He lost his mind. He just one day woke up in Florida and didn't realize how he got there or what happened. Now, if that's the case, you know, if, if you do, you know, he told her family, hey, look, I was just trying to help her. You know, we weren't really going to start a life. I was just trying to help her out. You know, so I gave her a ride, more or less, to go meet this other guy. You know, why not tell his wife that? Yeah, I was just, you know, trying to help a friend. I took her down there. I dropped her off, you know. You see what I'm saying? Why, why go to that length? If you did, just, just put her out of the car and just take the U-Haul back, whatever and just go back up in your town, why not just say that? Eddie had a great point. Why did Philip tell his wife one story and Gwen's father a completely different story? If either tale was true, why not just stick with the true story? Based on the interview statements from Philip's ex-wife regarding his psychiatrist's opinion that Philip was a pathological liar, It's not a far leap to conclude that neither explanation Philip gave about what happened to Gwen and Alicia was the truth. Eddie also has transcripts of interviews he conducted with Philip's children, who are now grown. And it's what those individuals have to say that really makes you look at Philip's relevance to this case in a whole new light. The children of Philip, a man we've given a pseudonym to, told Jackson County Sergeant Eddie Clark some very interesting information when he interviewed them recently. They said their father, who once ran away with Gwen Clemens and her baby girl Alicia, was never the same when he returned to Missouri in late December 1982. They were just so adamant that he was never the same person, that something was wrong when he came back. One of his daughters, his grown daughter, said that, you know, they were, she was daddy's girl. She was 13 when he left. Said that when he came back, that there was something evil about him and that she couldn't even be in the same room with him. She said he was not invited to her high school graduation. He was not invited to her wedding because she didn't trust him. She didn't want to be around him. She just, she just thought there was something evil about him. Said he was never the same man. Said it was like two men. Now, I think there's naturally bound to be some distrust and fractures in relationships when a person abruptly abandons their family. But to me, Philip's daughter's statements go beyond a general distrust or fracture. I think her words to Eddie Clark may provide a small glimpse into what may have been a scary and traumatic time in her life and something she saw manifesting in her father. In making this podcast, it's always been a priority for us to share the firsthand accounts of those involved in this case. So we attempted to reach out to Philip's family and ask them to speak with us or provide a statement. We didn't want this show to exclude their experience and feelings. Both his ex-wife and daughter declined our request. The prevailing theory that law enforcement has is that Gwen is most likely deceased. 
Eddie Clark believes that whoever the person or people responsible for her death are, they put her in a different place than where they discarded Alicia's body. I honestly think that she was not placed in the same place as the baby. Simply makes it harder to identify the two if they were found. You think she'll ever be found? I think one day we're going to find out. We were really hoping that when we got her information put on NamUs, that maybe she was already out there, just unidentified, you know, and we hadn't had anything yet. But like I say, you know, we're still looking. I honestly think that she was not put in the same place as the baby, simply because it's much harder to identify a child without the parent. You know, I think if they would have been together, that story would have come out of mother and child together. We would have been looking for two people instead of, you know, one. And, you know, I think it would have made it that much harder or easier looking for, for both. Authorities have also had to consider the idea that Gwen was responsible for what happened to Alicia, and that maybe Gwen is still alive out in the world. But based on everything they've uncovered and everyone they've interviewed, that scenario doesn't fit because little evidence supports it. There's one thing that was kind of consistent uh, to every, you know, everybody we talked to, she loved that baby. And I don't think for one second she would have let any, it would have harmed that baby or let anything happen to that baby. You know, we, we've done searches with her social security number, which turned up nothing, absolutely nothing, as of 1982. No public assistance, no, no nothing. There's nothing out there with her name on it past 1982. One big question Mississippi detectives working Alicia and Gwen's case want to try to definitely answer is where a critical clue to their story ended up. The U-Haul. The U-Haul full of Gwen's furniture and belongings was something that investigators had a lot of questions about. Almost everyone they'd interviewed mentioned that U-Haul. Teresa, Gwen's sister, distinctively remembers it parked outside their parents' house before Gwen left for Florida with Philip in 1982. So she come down um, and was here for, it wasn't a week, maybe five days, I think, a few days, and came down here to Joplin and met up with him. And they stayed here a couple of days at my parents' house and loaded up all of her furniture and her little girl and left to go to Florida, we thought. When we discussed the U-Haul with investigator Eddie Clark, he had a theory. Several years ago, he'd worked on a case involving a stolen vehicle. In that report, the suspect had abandoned the car in a truck stop parking lot where it sat for many months. Eddie suspects something similar may have happened to Gwen and Philip Shuhall. We're talking 1982. Could have been the same scenario, you know, dump it at a, uh, at a truck stop somewhere. Tow company comes and gets it. It doesn't necessarily come back as stolen. I don't know, you know, how that would work or could have got taken back to a U-Haul place and they just cleaned it out. I think it would be interesting to find out if the U-Haul was ever found. And if so, where? Was it found in Florida, or Mississippi, or Missouri, or somewhere else? Unfortunately, the U-Haul company records don't go back far enough for investigators to get that information. 
but maybe someone will remember something and call in a tip. This is where you, the listener, can be very important to helping push this investigation along. A big step the Jackson County Sheriff's Office took in updating everyone on its investigation into baby Jane happened on December 4th, 2020. That date was selected intentionally, just one day short of 38 years from the day her mystery began in Jackson County. The department held a press conference to announce the official identification of baby Jane as Alicia Heinrich. For months, investigators and our team knew Alicia and Gwen's real names, but the public did not. The community also had no idea that Gwen was officially a missing person. I headed down to Mississippi to get a front row seat for the announcement. Attendees gathered in a courtroom, not the usual place for a press conference like this, but it was the biggest space available for an announcement of this magnitude. Almost every person we've interviewed for this podcast was there, ready to receive the information they had waited decades for. Sheriff Ezell stepped to the podium, situated in front of the judge's bench. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all for coming out today. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, I'm Sheriff Mike Ezell, the sheriff here in Jackson County. And uh, we want to welcome you to Jackson County, and we thank you for being a part of this uh, long-term event that has been going on here in Jackson County for many years. So on December the 5th, 1982, 38 years ago tomorrow, the body of a female toddler was discovered in the Escataba River through DNA testing at the Ortham Lab. Baby Jane has been identified as Alicia Ann Heinrich, daughter of Gwendolyn Clemens, both of whom went missing in Missouri in 1982. The sheriff then revealed for the first time a photo of baby Alicia and Gwen. It was the first time for most people in the room to see the face of the baby so many people had spent decades trying to identify. Baby Alicia's strawberry blonde hair is shown fanned out from her face with just a hint of curl at the ends. Her beautiful eyes are hazel or light brown. She is dressed for the warm weather of summer in a yellow ruffled top. On an easel next to Alicia's photo was a poster-sized print of Gwen's senior photo from Webb City High School. Sheriff Ezell provided the media and attendees with a timeline of the investigators' work on the case and detailed a lot of the same information we've shared with you over the last eight episodes. Missing from the press conference was Gwen and Alicia's family, but it wasn't for lack of desire to be there. When we'd spoken with Teresa, she'd expressed that she wasn't ready to physically see the bridge where her niece's life was stolen from her and the last place her sister was likely seen alive, not to mention the global COVID-19 pandemic that limited a lot of travel over the past year. Teresa and Gwen's sister-in-law, Aunt Alicia, both expressed that they deeply appreciate all of the investigators' efforts and everyone who's played a part in identifying baby Alicia and Gwen. Gentlemen, down in uh, Mississippi that buried her, you know, his daughter's name's Bobby. I've been ta- I've talked to them, and they're such wonderful people, and they take care of her graveside down there and make sure it's got flowers on it. They go out and visit her. They just kind of took her under their wing and adopted her, and I thought that was so sweet. But she ain't been alone. They've been there with her. She's right. Despite decades without a name, her niece was never forgotten. 
she was constantly on the minds of investigators and the community. Aunt Alicia has played over and over in her mind what could have happened to Gwen and Alicia that cold night in December 1982, when witnesses spotted the young mother walking alone along I-10. Of course, back then, no, they didn't have cell phones like they do now, but I'm sitting there going, I just put myself in their place. You know, she was young, confused. She was in a strange place. She used to a small town, and I guess her boyfriend kicked her out of the truck and said they got in an argument, and he went back to Joplin. And she wasn't a very big person. She's very small, petite. And just someone overpowered her and took, I don't know what happened, but it just breaks my heart to know that Back then, they didn't have cell because all she would have had to do is pick up that phone and call anybody, and they'd have come and got her. You know, her dad, me, it just one phone call, we'd have been there, or we'd have got somebody there for her. But she had to be so confused and scared out there on that interstate. You know, from what I hear, they said she was up walking up and down carrying the baby. That's one of the most puzzling parts of this case that really sticks out to us. I mean, if Gwen was kicked out of the vehicle, by Philip, and abandoned on the side of the highway with baby Alicia, why would she refuse help from Good Samaritans? We know from Alicia's autopsy report that the little girl had no food or drink for an extended period of time before she died. If Gwen had gotten help from one of those Good Samaritans, they would have been able to request law enforcement's help or drive the mother and daughter to the next exit on I-10 to call family. It's Gwen's unexplainable behavior that makes the theory that she's still alive seem possible. For some people, the thought that Gwen is still alive is no longer just a thought. It's what they believe is the truth. I did kind of question it at that time that maybe she was alive because it was just too much coincidence there. When we interviewed Teresa, Gwen's sister, she told us about a few events over the years that have left her family questioning if Gwen did truly run off with the man from Oklahoma with a yacht, as Philip had suggested. The only thing one time, I don't remember how far after that she left, but it may think in it probably seven, 10 years or something. I have a friend that her mother was living in Florida and on the radio station during the week of my sister's birthday, they had wished a Gwen Clemens happy birthday. And it was just kind of weird because it was during that week. Teresa told us at one point, a person even called Gwen and Teresa's grandmother, stating Gwen was alive and well. Then somebody called sometime during that year to my grandma and said they found her number in the back of a Bible and uh, that they just wanted to call and let her know that Gwen was okay and with him. Well, that's and interesting. My grandma, my grandma was like 80 years old, you know. Sure. She didn't get any information. And then I think it was about a year after that, they called and they said that, that gentleman did, that she had just had his baby and uh, that he just wanted, you know, the family to know. Here's the thing. Those phone calls might not be all that meets the eye. Investigators in Jackson County have a theory on the person who may have called Teresa's grandmother. And that person is Philip. Think about it for just a second. 
Philip had groomed Teresa and Gwen's grandmother's dog for years. He would have had easy access to her phone number. The thing of it is, is um, this that has the pet sitters. My grandma took her dogs to him, so he would have had access to her phone number just to throw us off to where, you know, that we think that she's okay, but we never did. It begs the question, Say the scenario is one where Philip is involved in what happened to Gwen and baby Alicia. Could he have been calling their grandmother to try and make people think Gwen and Alicia were still alive? Police have considered that as a potential theory. Despite this suspicion, though, there is one person we've interviewed that is fully convinced Gwen is not dead. And that person is James, Gwen's ex-husband. When we last spoke with him on the phone, He was adamant Gwen was very much alive several years after she and baby Alicia disappeared. The reason he was so sure, he saw her. How confident are you that that was her that you saw back then? Oh, very. I'm pretty confident it was her, (laughs) you know? Because she looked right at me. She was wearing her glasses and she looked right at me. So that was like seven or eight years after she left. Yeah. We'll dive into that on the season finale of Solvable. 